We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Curtis took three running backs and just one wide receiver in the first five rounds of a recent best ball mania draft. He went hyper fragile as he lost his mind or is he on to something? We're talking all that and more on Roto Viz Radio. What's up, Roto Viz? Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Curtis Patrick. We are two of the owners at Rotoviz. We're trying to determine if Curtis has just gone absolutely bonkers here. Uh, if he's on to something and what is going on with hyper fragile drafts in underdog best ball contests. Curtis, how are you? Doing great, man. Um, really uh, ramping up the drafts here over the past couple of days. I know uh, I, I'm sure everyone is very interested to hear how the uh, uh, the rags to riches coach pitch baseball team uh, performed my, you know, my six year old first year in, I guess, pseudo competitive baseball, uh, uh, you know, a level above T-ball. Finally, we were eliminated from uh, the tournament um, last night and uh you know, it was bittersweet. I, I liked, you know, investing my time and all those kiddos. And it was great to see them grow in some confidence and, you know, learn how to compete, you know, in a social construct. But it's also nice to have a little bit of time back. So, Dave, I've got this magical lull right now between all the sports seasons with the kids. And, you know, for the next four weeks, I don't really have any practices of any sports, which is, I think the last time that I wasn't trying to organize something three nights a week uh, for one of my kids was probably last December. So <laughs> this is, this is awesome. Like this is going to be power alley for us drafting. And um, we can really get into some of the the strategies that, that we want to try experiment with and also, you know, really believe uh, at our core for 2023. So yeah, I'm doing great. I'm um, coming up, coming off of, uh, the realization that I've got some time coming up here. And I, I, I just thought it'd be fun to break down one of the more unique, um, tournament drafts that I've had so far this season. And we're going to kind of frame this episode around it, but I think I've done something like 210 best ball drafts so far, uh, this year, uh, 50 something best ball mania, and this one was really unique, Dave. I went 2-3-10-3. Three, three. 
two quarterbacks, three running backs, 10 receivers, and three tight ends. I mean, let's break down this team a little bit, see if you, you think it is bonkers. We'll look at some of the Rotoviz tools uh, that we've built specifically for uh, Underdog and its contests. We've got a best ball roster construction explorer. We've got an advance rate explorer. You've got a behind the scenes super secret simulator uh, <laughs> that you've run this team through. So I, I think it's going to make for some interesting discussion. All right. So as you mentioned, we have a hyper fragile best ball team that we're looking at here. Why don't you run us down that roster quickly? You can do it in the context that you think makes sense. We can either go round by round or you can break it down by position. So, so I'll zoom out even further, just okay. real quick. Like what is, so this is the first yeah, sort right. of this episode right. you've ever even listened to your new listener. You stumbled upon this. What is even hyperfragile? What are these guys talking about? So uh, Mike Beers, um, a dear friend, uh, who uh, was actually on our road of his team for several years and built many of the tools um, or helped to um, engineer them even better than they, they were in those previous iterations. Um, he wrote probably his most famous article ever uh, was around hyperfragile drafting. The idea was, you know, even though team Rotoviz is, is so um, invested in, in the zero RB or, or one early RB constructs over the years because of the success um, that's proven um, with, you know, roster construction theory, you know, Mike found in his research that there were some situations where, you know, if you're forced into, um, or tempted into drafting many early running backs, what would the right number be? And could you still create a team that, that would do well in a, in a tournament um, situation? You know, how many running backs would you need? How early would you need to draft them? That obviously would change year to year to year. But the idea is you're making a bet that those elite running backs would stay healthy, which is usually a challenge, but you would get enough elite running backs, but then stop drafting them. And then you would overwhelm the competition by stacking wide receivers with your quarterbacks and taking um, chances on, you know, emerging or um, late season plays at the wide receiver position. So almost, you know, it's basically the opposite of zero RB. It's not quite zero wide receiver, but it's, you, know, you could call it that. It's, it's more attractive to call it hyperfragile. We're not rid of is never going to call something <laughs> zero wide receiver, obviously, Dave. So yeah. that's the idea behind hyperfragile. And, you know, the, the thing that's unique, you know, when Mike wrote that article, I'm not even so sure that underdog existed yet. I don't think um, it did. I think I think we were playing MFL tens or best ball tens back in the day still. Yep. Um, and, you know, so we didn't have big contests that were half PPR. And so, you know, I think Mike would have even developed, you know, his thoughts on this topic, even, you know, at a deeper level, had he done the analysis on, on half PPR. But, you know, it just, it just you know, it's fun. Any, any time that I end up with a hyperfragile roster, it makes me think of all the discussions that uh, Mike and I had around that time. And, you know, it was still the Twitter DMs with each other almost every day. But anyway, um, half PPR, you know, you, you could say, Dave, that taking – these elite running backs, if you get the right ones um, and you're still able, to, still able to fill out your roster in the right way, there's even potentially you know more upside in it um, because, you know, if you get in particular, if you get the running backs that score a ton of touchdowns, um, you can really create a, a situation where you're not 
as susceptible to being overwhelmed by teams that have built these zero RB rosters um, predicated on, on receiving backs, um, helping them post big scores because you know, the, the scat backs, the receiving only the, the change of pace backs that work so well in PPR, you know, they, they still can work and have worked uh, an underdog, but you know, you need enough of them um, to, to build a roster that, that works. And so, you know, I had an opportunity here to build a unique roster out of the one Oh three in this draft. And I took Christian McCaffrey at the one Oh three. I've been alternating really between McCaffrey, Jefferson and chase, um, even at the, the one Oh two, when the three of them are there. So this is not an abnormal pick for me to take CMC. Um, but I decided to go hyper fragile Dave when Jonathan Taylor was available at 22. So his ADP has hung around in the early second for most of the offseason. I guess in the back in the big board, he was going more at the one-two turn. But in best ball mania, he's hung out like between 15 and 17 for the most part. So he's a half round below ADP. And at wide receiver, we had gotten past a tier uh, that I really would, would have wanted to target. You know, Devontae Smith was gone. That's a, a receiver that... You know, Sean has written uh, a couple articles about, you know, recently and trying to find this year's Devontae Smith. Smith actually was his uh, latest article. You can find that on the front page of his.com. But T Higgins also off the board. So the idea of taking, you know, Higgins and then following Burrow later, that was kind of out of the, of the question. And, and I've got enough Chris Alave. He was the best wide receiver available that I just, I'm like, man, starting CMC and JT, like that wouldn't have been possible last year. Uh, so let's just do this and let's see what happens. So th- thoughts there, and then we can break down, you know, maybe the next couple of rounds and then talk about, you know, the roster uh, overall from an RCE perspective. Sure. So the first thing I'll say is that I actually do really like hyper fragile um, builds for these large tournaments or even something similar where maybe you're, you're getting four running backs. I think, in the research that I have done for tournaments, it's a pretty darn good build. We can talk about some of the reasons why later, but to kind of piggyback off of what you were saying about Mike was at the time, the game that we were playing in best ball was a little bit different. And I think that now you have an even an environment where you can make an even stronger case for these hyper fragile types of teams. And the other note that I'll add in here is, Christian McCaffrey, when you're able to get him and you're drafting somewhere around like the three, four, five spot in best ball drafts this year, it feels like a really good spot to try and execute that because you can get CMC. Generally, you can follow him up with another running back where you can have those two kind of as an anchor. And in some respects, you could almost get by with just the two of them if both of those players hit. Uh, and as I talked about on the show last night, I think that there's such a separation between Christian McCaffrey uh, and some of the other running backs this year that it really uh, augments this strategy this year. On top of that, I do think we could see a situation where he is vying with Jefferson and Chase to be the highest scoring player at either running back or wide receiver. So high level. I like this. I like when you're getting McCaffrey on that squad, pivoting to this approach. All right. So there's some confirmation there where, where, where it gets really interesting and where I realize, okay, um, I've got to make this team, you know, special 
Um, I, I was thinking, Dave, that you know, maybe I would go three running backs to start and then just be done Yep. in the first three rounds. So I've taken CMC, I've taken Taylor. And then before I, I'm back up at 303, Ramondre Stevenson, Josh Jacobs, and Derrick Henry all come off the board. So I'm left with, do I want to take Brees Hall, uh, which is really probably the only viable choice there from my perspective in the th- at that early in the third round, um, or do I want to go a different direction? And, you know, there's still enough question on a team like this and a hyper-fragile team that's, you know, predicated on running back health around wh- what will Brees Hall look like early in the season? Um, will it take him some time to get back into form? Will he even play in September? You know, there's still a lot to figure out there. I didn't think he was the right choice for this team uh, at 303. So I took Josh Allen and I just said, <laughs> I'll just take a, you know, he was actually QB two. Mahomes was still on the board there. Um, but I liked the idea of, of Allen and just going bully ball. Uh, he, he seemed like a sexier match with, with McCaffrey and Taylor. And, um, you know, I think it's, you know, th- there's plenty of teams that I have where I've taken Mahomes even on non-Kelsey rosters and and matched him up with some of his wide receivers. But it's easy enough to do that with Josh Allen uh, later on in drafts too. So I, I took Allen there instead of Brees. Um, maybe give me your thoughts on that. And then, and then we'll get into the meat and potatoes of the roster. I'm definitely all for drafting the top level quarterbacks early. I think that with the way that drafts are falling out this year remains important like it was last year. I also think that there's a lot of evidence to support the uh, utility of drafting a player like Josh Allen early Uh, in the context of this team too. I feel like it's going to be important for a lot of these hyper fragile teams to be somewhat strong or very strong at either tight end or quarterback. So by getting that out of the way with Allen or both, both if you can, right. Um, which we'll talk about the tight ends a little bit later, but uh, yeah, I definitely support that as well. So, so far I like how this is uh, coming together. All right. So I finally get my first wide receiver in round four uh, at four ten. I took Mike Williams. Mike Williams um, is going to be playing against Josh Allen in week 16. So we're in the, you know, the playoffs of the, of the best ball tournament there. Um, and, you know, I think it's going to be interesting just to see, what happens with the Chargers offense this year, you know, and, and the new offensive coordinator and Kellen Moore, you know, can we get Justin Herbert back to throwing for close to 40 touchdowns this year? If so, you know, I think Williams could be, you know, really key uh, in that. Um, and, you know, until, until last year, he had uh, a better run of health in, in recent seasons. So, you know, I, I don't mind this price, you know, I, Drake London and Brandon Ayuk went immediately after him. Um, I feel a little bit better, I guess, about, uh, if, if Williams and Ayuk both were to stay healthy, I like Williams to have a higher target share of the Chargers offense than Ayuk, although Ayuk was a thought for me. London really was not, but I was kind of torn between the two. But I liked the idea of having Williams and Allen facing off you know, late in the season there. Sure. I think that the players you're kind of discussing there are all in a similar range of the possible, you know, the possible outcomes that we could have across this season. Um, I do like London a fair amount, but I think that um, it is hard to make a case that uh, he should be the clear-cut pick there out of the three. Yeah, give me the shootout opportunity in week 16. 
Uh, I wrap back around to, to week five. Here's where I grab my third running back. And if it weren't for uh, some off the field questions, this running back, I mean, we've talked about him a couple weeks ago, Dave. I mean, he would have been, you know, reasonable consideration probably where I took Taylor uh, if there weren't, you know, some of these questions. And I mean, from a, from a team role, team context perspective, you know, he may even have a bigger share uh, than he did last year. I took Joe Mixon here. So McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, and Joe Mixon end up being my trio of running backs. I didn't draft a single uh, additional running back the rest of the way. Um, The other running backs that would have been available to me in that round would have been Kenneth Walker, Aaron Jones, and Alexander Madison. So uh, is Mixon a fair choice? to end the RBs uh, on this roster? And would you have preferred one of the others from round five over mixing for this build? Uh, or do I get a passing grade so far? No, no, no. He's not just, you know, like the right pick here. He is the pick, right? Like I, I, I don't need to say anything more. Joe Mixon is absolutely the pick there. I think that is one of the best trios, if not the best trio you're realistically going to be able to put together. Well, well, no, because I guess you would go three off the bat. But if you're taking, uh, you know, the positions in the order that you're doing here, I think it might be hard to beat that build when going hyper fragile at running back. All right. So running it down a, a little faster here, well, let's get down through the 10th round. Uh, Cause I've got to start putting together some wide receivers. I've got to figure out some, some stacking with Josh Allen here. And, you know, in my head after that Allen pick, I had already told myself um, I, I would, I would like to get uh, uh, one of my higher end tight ends. I'm going to take a tight end, you know, in the first, you know, seven rounds, um, first eight rounds and you know, that that's a goal. So kind of keep that in mind as I run this down. So in, in round six, it comes back around and take Deontay Johnson had a huge target share last year, you know, famously didn't score uh, many <laughs> touchdowns. By many, um, you mean any? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> many slash any. Um, so I think he's a huge bounce back candidate, um, huge bounce back candidate. And so, you know, he's the type of player that, you know, when, the other option here that I consider was Traylon, um, who went at 612. I, I took the risk and thought maybe Traylon would come back around to me at the top of the seventh. I thought he was more likely to slip than Deontay. Uh, so that was the thought process there. He was really the guy that I wanted. But he goes, wraps back around to round seven. And I say, all right, you know, Traylon's gone. That's fine. I'll take Gabe Davis uh, for Josh Allen. And, and then in eight, nine, 10, I take Evan Ingram. Uh, at in the eighth round, and then Michael Thomas and Alan Lazard in rounds nine and ten. Uh, so I through ten rounds, I end up with five wide receivers, three running backs, uh, a quarterback, and a tight end. We can quickly uh, run down the second half of this draft, uh, if uh, unless you want to react to any of those picks there. Well, I do. Uh, I will say I, I like the Evan Engram pick. I think that there's definitely some utility in getting one of the tight ends uh, out of the group that ends. You reach a point where like David and Joku get selected where after that, I want to make sure that I have one of the guys preceding that. So and Joku, Fryer, Muth, Engram, Waller, and then all of the higher level tight ends before there. So that I like. The, and I love the Alan Lazard pick. The one that I don't like is Michael Thomas uh, with the reason being, I feel like there are players with the more upside that you could get there. Now I think, 
you could easily push back on that and say, well, upside, you know, it's possible that he still ends up with a very high target share. Uh, I will just give you an opportunity to kind of quickly, because I want to keep this moving, break yep. down what you saw in the Thomas pick there. I mean, it was, it was just looking for guys that had, you know, I, I was looking for some volume uh, here. You know, Gabe Davis is a spiky pick. Um, I was, and, and so really you could argue that Mike Williams maybe is a spiky pick too. Uh, and, in many iterations of the season, because with the Quentin Johnston pick, um, and Austin Eckler also being there, you know, maybe his production won't be as smooth. I really felt like Deontay was the only guy that I was, you know, so far counting on week to week to get, you know, eight, nine, 10 targets. And, you know, Thomas might be a zero, but I also think there's a chance that he's the number two target, uh, for, for Derek Carr. And, you know, maybe you can have, you know, a, a little bit of a renaissance here. I, again, this is hyper fragile. This team already, you know, is banking on running back health. Um, and so, you know, taking a gamble on wide receiver health here in the ninth was something I was willing to do for context. I mean, the, the wide receivers that went after him, you know, I've got Sky Moore and, and uh, a couple picks later, um, Tyler Boyd uh, went at the end of the ninth. And I mean, Boyd has a, a couple uh, big games each year with Burrow and the big games are everything uh, in best ball, but I just don't, you know, if they both have their optimal seasons this year and maybe it's, you know, less likely that Thomas will have that optimal season, but if they did ha both have an optimal season, I think Thomas would outscore, you know, Boyd by probably 50 half PPR points or something like that. And then uh, it wasn't until the beginning of the 10th, but you saw Juju and OBJ go. Yep. And I think you can argue that both of them have some of the same injury and or role questions that Thomas had. It's kind of like a, a weird spot in the draft for wide receiver. It's one of the reasons why we don't do builds like these often. Right. <laughs> we'd rather take other positions in this range. But with this build, you know, I'm taking that position here. A uh, quick note. What I like here is with what you're doing is when you draft these teams, you don't draft these ones trying to hedge in any way you draft these, like you have a good feel for what's going to happen. And you draft these with conviction. If you're going with the picks that you've made, you've got to assume that the picks that you've made prior are the right mm. picks. You can't do right. one of these things where you kind of go halfway and then start trying to hedge by adding, you know, players that you, um, I guess might be lukewarm, but you think are filling some type of, I'm kind of struggling to say what I'm what, what I'm getting at here, but yeah. basically I think the point is you don't draft these teams afraid trying to make up for some of the flaws that they might have earlier on. If you like Michael Thomas and you think he fits, then you go after him. You're drafting these teams like you're getting things right. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think you I think you uh, eventually got to the point that you want to make there. I thought I thought that was well said. Okay. Um, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, rounds 11 through 18. Um, let's just run down. I'll talk through uh, a little bit of the strategy. And then I want to veer over to the... Um, roster construction explorer and see if this team has any chance <laughs> um, <laughs> taking the, the names off of the positions and just if this construct has a chance. So I told you it was two, three, uh, 10, three. We've got a lot of work to do here left at wide receiver and tight end in particular. Uh, so we left off with Alan Lazard in round 10, followed it with Rondale Moore and Van Jefferson in rounds 11 and 12. I think these are you know, a pair of wide receivers that have a great shot to be the wide receiver twos on their teams. Uh, Arizona may be passing a lot because they just won't be very good. Um, and, and more did look, uh, solid, uh, for his healthy stretch last year. Um, Van Jefferson, I just think he's, he's being slept on. Um, you know, if he's healthy, he has a chance to have a huge role for the Rams. All the reports on Stafford have been good so far. You know, the Rams passing offense could, you know, reemerge, maybe not as a top one in the NFL, but it maybe as a top half. Uh, in the NFL, you know, healthy Cooper Cup is going to do a lot for all the other surrounding pieces. I mean, there's no reason that Jefferson can run out and have 100 targets this year. I, I followed Jefferson with a stack immediately in the next round with Matthew Stafford. Um, more, more to come on the Rams offense a little bit later. Then I started leaning into this Bills stack a little bit more. So in round 14, I took Tyquan Thornton, uh, who will be playing uh, the other direction against Josh Allen in Week 17. In round 15, I took Dawson Knox as my tight end two. You know, he may not be the primary tight end for Buffalo this year. There's a chance that he still could be, but he may not be. Uh, but even if he's not, um, I still think, you know, he's a week-to-week multi-touchdown threat. Uh, and, and you like to have that, especially in the colder weather where, you know, the types of passes that Allen might be throwing there in late December, um, you know, in the throws of the tournament uh, could look a little different. Followed that with Khalil Shakir in week 16, who uh, has been featured in a couple articles on the site uh, in recent days. So now I've got with Josh Allen, Dawson Knox, and Khalil Shakir. I then went back to the Patriots in round 17 for my tight end three, Mike Gesicki, who I think is an awesome pick uh, for best ball this year. One of my favorite picks, one of my most exposed uh, players uh, across all of the tournaments this year so far. So I've got both Thornton and Gesicki uh, coming back against the Bills in Week 17. And then I follow it in Round 18 and conclude the draft with 2-2 Atwell from the Rams, you know, another player to go uh, with Stafford there. So that's that's how it rounds out. Any of those players in Round 11 through 18 that you like or hate or want me to talk about? Um, I think just a couple of high-level comments would be that I, I really like what you've done with the stacking of wide receivers with their quarterback here. 
Uh, I don't know exactly when it was, but I think even last year, uh, I might've talked, uh, or in answering a question on the show about stacking. And I don't think at the time I appreciated it or viewed it as important as I do now, uh, as these tournaments get larger and larger and you're playing against more teams. I do think that the stacking, um, particularly of a quarterback with his wide receivers are just getting something in there that can make a big shift for you in the weeks that really matter is very important. Now, perhaps if you're looking just in the window of the regular season, it's not quite as important as it would be if you're looking at a given week and hoping that in week 17, you get that stack. But we now do have, with more seasons under our belt, a lot of evidence showing that that is something you want to get. So I like how you've done it. Um, on top of that, I really like the pick of Tutu Atwell here at the end and not necessarily because I have anything on Tutu Atwell that makes me like him, but though the Rams last year were not the best offense and there was a lot of issues there, they still feel like a team that could come back to being one of the better offenses. Then you have a player like Atwell who I think you can tell yourself a compelling story that there might be one week where a couple of plays break for him, and then he's actually contributing to your lineup in that week, which I think justifies his pick as your 18th player, your final player. And then on top of that, you have his correlation with Stafford. Uh, we talked about Shakir and his usefulness with Josh Allen uh, kind of compounds on that. So I, I like the group of players that you filled this out with. So let's start you know, kind of exploring historically what this build is able to achieve. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. So a couple ways that we can do that on the website. Uh, if you've got a membership to rotaviz.com, you can go over to our tools and uh, over to Best Ball, you can find the Underdog Best Ball Roster Construction Explorer. It's a really fun tool. Um, we can do research uh, from 2021 and 2022. We can adjust position settings. We can adjust uh, position in round. Um, settings as well. And so uh, we want to look at a couple of things. One, we want to kind of look at the exact build uh, that I did and then see if it would have been improved by, you know, just changing that 10th wide receiver, maybe for a different position. Um, could we have had different advance rate results uh, that were better uh, from a playoff perspective than also a finals advance uh, rate? Because those are really the thing. I mean, you talk about a hyper fragile team. I mean, you want, you want a good finals right, percentage. Right. You know, you're, you're drafting for the finals in these tournaments anyway. Um, and so uh, I loaded it in here, Dave, two, three, 10, three. And then I, I put in some round by round stuff. Um, so what I did first is quarterback one before round five. So, you know, it's not enough to just say two, three, 10, three. We, we want to have the right type of two, three, 10, three team. So a two, three, 10, three team that had, you know, an early round quarterback. And then you also wanted to make sure it was a hyper fragile team um, that had two of its running backs before round five as well. And then I set tight end one at uh, before round 10. So it'd be round nine or earlier um, just so we don't end up in one of these situations where, you know, a team drafts like three tight end twos, which is a really common thing to do um, in, in tournaments. You know, it, it, we're trying to query against teams that invested early in a single digit round with tight ends. So there's, there's no filter in for wide receiver yet. Uh, with, with these settings, um, there were 52 teams in the last two seasons uh, that had a team like this 19.2 
uh, percent of those teams advance the playoffs. So that outperforms expectation by about 3%. There's a semifinals uh, advance rate, uh, slight outperformance uh, versus expectations of 1.92. And then also all of those teams that went to the semifinals from this cohort also went to the finals. So 1.92% finals advance rate uh, is, is really impressive. Of course, we haven't solved for wide receiver yet. Um, you know, but th- this is good. I mean, I did not do this research before I drafted this team. I mean, we're, we're going, we're looking to see if this team has a chance, you know, we're doing the research after the draft occurred. So any thoughts um, there on the construction or, or, you know, maybe, you know, what did your simulator tool say? <laughs> so the first thought is this is a, you know, very positive outlook. Now, granted, we don't have a high number of teams actually informing this, um, so this could be overfit to some degree just on the last two seasons that we've seen. Uh, mm-hmm. But those are pretty impressive results. And I think that uh, particularly the um, finals advance rate kind of lines up with some of the intuition that you would have being that if you've gotten that far, you probably have two, if not three, very solid running backs that are able to sustain solid weeks, which is making a difference. And then you have all of these darts with the wide receivers. So, you know, if you make it that far, you probably have a really good team uh, and a team that is able to score a ton of points, uh, which kind of lines up with that expectation. So that's, that's pretty cool to see now. And I'm not going to get into the mechanics of it. This is something that we probably won't be able to ever have live because it would probably crash a ton of things. <laughs> but I wonder how many of those things you've got on your computer. <laughs> just a couple, just a couple. Yeah. Uh, what I can tell you is I have, I have something put together that does a pretty solid job of simulating um, best ball teams across the season um, and done in a way that I feel is about as representative as you could get. Um, when you run Curtis's team, by including the position that he selected in each round. Um, What you see is that this is a build that produces a pretty poor average team, but the percentage of teams that score very highly out of the teams that are built this way when you simulate them is pretty impressive. Um, you can run some of the more conservative builds and what you'll see is they might have a slightly higher average, but very rarely do they have teams that approach the, uh, some of the thresholds that you might look for in terms of point scoring. This team just in 200 simulations gets roughly, uh, let me just take a quick look here. It gets roughly five teams towards one of the thresholds of points here that I use to compare teams as being those that have potential uh, to vie for winning a tournament. So that kind of lines up with, to some extent, what we saw in the roster construction explorer, uh, which does make this a build that I'm really interested in. Now, my final thoughts on this would be, if you are going to do this, I do think, like I said earlier, it's very important that you have strength at quarterback. I might even advocate for going for... 
one of the, or going for your second quarterback a little bit earlier than the Matthew Stafford type of level mm-hmm. this year. Sure. Uh, the other tweak that you probably could do, and I think that you would see a fairly similar rate. Now, granted, I have not actually tweaked your squad here and done this, but I think you also have the possibility of consolidating down to two tight ends um, and getting your second tight end a little bit earlier, maybe like prior to round 13 and then shifting that into your running back and RB before, because I actually think you can only go up to 10 wide receivers if, unless I'm mistaken. So you wouldn't be doing the hyper fragile build there, but it's a similar flavor. Sure. Sure. And that that's the fun. I mean, we'll, we'll have to research some of that, uh, in the RCE. We did build this out a little bit, uh, more to oh, see one more, th- one more oh, thing ahead, to say just so that people can appreciate this. Uh, cause I think it's just kind of a fun, a fun thing here. When you think about a contest like this, you know, in your mind, you're feeling like there's only so many builds, but when you actually account for the different number of players that you can draft at each position and that you have those 18 rounds, the number of builds and even reasonable ones that you could put together is an absolutely insanely large number uh, to the point that if somebody tried to simulate across all of those builds, it wouldn't even really be reasonable to try and do, which is just a fun thing about how many different ways you can build teams are in this contest. Yeah, that, that's a good reminder. Cause I mean, you know, hundreds of thousands of entries, obviously. Um, I mean, there could, there could be far more than that in terms of uh unique. Builds. Yeah. So actually here's, um, here's, sorry, I'm yeah. going down a bit of a rabbit hole, but here's the other okay. interesting thing. If you look at all of the builds from last year and you don't look at it in terms of just number of players taken in each position, but you actually look at position selected by each round there are not many constructions that get repeated any significant number of times, which is really, really interesting because, you know, intuitively you don't, well, I don't know if intuitively is the right word, but when you kind of frame this in your mind, you don't think about it like that. Uh, You know, just because your mind doesn't do a good job with numbers of that size. Well, and you, and you might, tend to draft teams similar to your own teams exactly but that doesn't mean that other people yeah i mean that that's really yep. the premise is like yeah i mean if you if you do something 150 times uh and of those 150 drafts you know half of them are similar in construction it feels like it's just i mean if yeah. it's old hat to you but that that it's it's not even a drop in the bucket yeah exactly uh, you feel like there's like 20 25 teams that you could put together and uh that's not even controlling just for the different players that comprise them that's just controlling for which position you select in which rounds so it's kind of crazy yeah that that's fun man we we could probably put together a cool infographic uh or article on that um okay so the one thing that i didn't do the first you know when i was talking about the 19 percent playoff rate and the 1.92 percent finals rate I hadn't dropped in the wide receiver there yet. And I I wanted to wait to do that in the RCE because when I just put in the QB one, RB two and tight end one um, variables there in the round by round settings, I've basically created a situation where uh, the the observations are probably going to be mostly zero wide receiver teams. So wide receiver teams, uh, teams that are waiting on wide receiver until like after round six. Um, you know, basically the exact opposite of uh, a zero RB team. Now, the the thing that I thought that was kind of unique about this build is that I still did take a wide receiver in the first four rounds. And because and this hyper fragile team ended up being constructed really around Mixon 
being that that value pick in the fifth round, I was still able to get an early enough wide receiver. You know, if the Chargers take a really big step forward this year, who's to say that they couldn't have two top 12 wide receivers? We see it happen, you know, almost every year that a team does that. So I, I added in to the, the quarterback in round four earlier, uh, RB2 in round four earlier, tight end in round nine or earlier. I added in wide receiver one in round four earlier. Now I got a, only 29 observations in the last two seasons. So not many teams constructed like this. Um, with with players uh, taken in those types of or in those areas of the draft, the playoff advance rate underperformed versus expectation. Only thirteen point eight percent of those teams made the playoffs. That's actually more consistent with what I would expect from a hyper fragile team, right? Yeah. It's called hyper fragile. But Dave it had a three point four five percent finals advance rate. So I mean, the teams that hit on those players uh, in in that build, I mean, were awesome teams you're right this uh, one's all, yeah. more of matches more with the intuition i actually uh yeah now that you see the results of this in comparison to the one that we saw before this is where it really stands out yeah and so so this team while being hyper fragile wasn't zero wide receiver and so i think that's the key piece and so you know i want to do a little bit more uh research on this uh on this construction because again you know so few observations makes it a little dicey to, you know, for me to, for, for the final 100 best ball mania four drafts that I do uh, to have tons of, of teams that are constructed this way. But uh, I'm going to dig into a little bit more and, and you know, I may put a couple more uh, builds like this into it. Now what, let's just see what happens if I had, I'd swapped something out here though. So maybe you're not comfortable with two, three, 10, three, or maybe two, three, 10, three, isn't even as impressive as other uh, alternatives that, that we could have come up with. So the first thing that we can do is go to that third quarterback, Dave. So you had mentioned maybe just, you know, doing the two quarterbacks, but taking the second one earlier, I have not researched what that would do yet. That can be part of the follow-up, but what if I had just taken a third um, instead of the 10th wide receiver, the playoff advance rate jumps all the way to 23.5%. So now, I mean, you're, you're almost, I mean, 50%, higher than expectations yep. uh and in terms of advancing to the playoffs 2.94 percent of those teams made the semifinals so not quite as impressive as the two three ten three construction uh and semifinals with the wide receiver there but but zero percent of those teams right made the finals which i mean lends itself to the idea that maybe that stacking really you, you lose that opportunity to stack that additional wide receiver or have a wide receiver that pops you know in that in that critical you know playoff week so that any any comments on the third quarterback before we look at what happens with the fourth running back yeah i think that and obviously we'd have to look into this a little bit more but one of the things that i have been looking at is the trade-off of adding in that third quarterback and what i have mm -hmm. found is you have a better chance of getting the absolute mega mega point totals if you don't go with that third quarterback and you're just consolidating in two solid passers earlier on, uh, then the, so as a result of that, if you're looking to win the tournaments, which I think that you should be, you really should be prioritizing going for those two versus trying to get an uptick for your team via adding yeah. that third passer. One of the large reasons for that is that that last quarterback that you're going to get, that you're going to get 
is very rarely going to be able to outscore the other passers ahead of them. And if he is able to outscore them, it's going to be by a fairly incremental margin. Whereas with the wide receiver late, a running back late, a tight end late, however you choose to do it, uh, in a given week, they might be able to appreciate, you know, 12, 15, 16 points against one of the players that would be in your lineup. So you're getting more of a shift in your total scoring as a result of that in general than you do by adding the third quarterback. All right. Well, let's keep it at two quarterbacks and then let's trade a wide receiver for a running back instead. Um, get that fourth running back, stick with nine wide receivers. If I leave the same settings on, so the early quarterback, you know, two of the running backs early and the, the first wide receiver early. I'm at expectation for playoff advance rate, but essentially 17.1% above expectation on semifinals advance rate at 2.46%. But again, 0% of those teams made the finals. Now what's interesting here, Dave, is we actually have a lot of observations. So mm -hmm. there's many teams um, in the past two years of best ball mania that, that were built this way, 691 teams uh, of a two four nine three build um, with this kind of, I guess it would be here, hero wide receiver. Maybe if we're going to create a new term, maybe it's a hero wide receiver squad, mm -hmm. um, 0%. So, you know, while the, the fourth running back is what almost, you know, now are you really, are you fragile enough to get the, the really big score? Right. Um, and so, so I think that, you know, the, the temptation to cover yourself up at running back or hedge against the injury, you know, you were talking about, you know, with this type of roster, you hedging, you know, probably does affect your upside, you know, the, the early results, at least in this, this, uh, high level research here seem to indicate that, you know, these teams ultimately capped their ceilings in terms of I mean, zero out of 691 making the finals over the last two years. Yeah. I think the three running backs really probably is the way to go where we could do more research and come back to this later would be looking at, okay, when should we actually exactly. take the second quarterback? Yep. Right. And then, you know, should we take a fourth tight end? You know, we didn't look at that, you know, yep. that might be another thing to, to take a look at, maybe don't take the tight end early and, and just, you know, make a big run on those uh, positions after round 10. So this, this was a fun draft. I think our plan, Dave, tomorrow, it maybe is to, to draft the team. Maybe we'll, you know, if we draw the right draft slot, maybe we'll try to draft our own uh, version uh, of a jointly owned uh, hyper fragile team. But, you know, if not, I'm sure, you know, we will be consulting the, the RCE during that draft. You can look at more at this tool on rotavis.com. We have all different types of subscription options and you can save on a one month subscription. So if, if this, you know, roster construction strategy, is super interesting to you and you're thinking about becoming a volume player, you know, I really can't recommend it highly enough. You can use promo code underdog and save 50% on your first month of a subscription. And, you know, if you go the other direction, go to underdogfantasy.com, use promo code rotoviz with your hundred dollar deposit. We'll give you another hundred bucks. So you can actually play eight best ball mania uh, entries for the price of four and get 50% off your, your first month of Rotoviz. It's a match made in heaven. Check it out. We'll be back again later this week. Thank you for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Send us questions at rvffshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. 
Leave us a voicemail at 978-615-9214 and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. 